James chapter 4 tonight, verses 11 through 17. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So that's the section we're going to cover tonight. Um, and they, these two sections that I just read, verses 11 through 12 and 13 through 17, they, they appear to not go together. But hopefully by the end of tonight's study, you're going to see the connection. There's actually a connection here, and hopefully it'll be a help to you. The one who sets him or herself up as a judge of other people is trying to take a role that only God can fill. Look again here at John, James chapter 4, where it says in verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, and the one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. We're going to deal with what that means in a little bit. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge? Your neighbor. God, hopefully you understand this, but we need to let the truth of it sink in a little bit more. God's the only one that's able to judge. Does anybody know why? He's the only one that what? He's the only one that knows the actual truth. Go, go, to, go to Isaiah chapter 11. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 5. Many's the time we've jumped to a conclusion, and we're sure we were right, and then we found a little more information, and we found out, whoa, I, I didn't know that was the case. You know, kind of a deal. But Jesus knows everything. And in, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 5. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Look listen closely to verse 3. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So who are we talking about here? This prophecy from Isaiah 11, how this shoot's going to come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots going to bear fruit. I'll help you out. David is the shoot coming from Jesse, and who's the branch coming from David? Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to have the sevenfold spirits of God. We even see that in the book of Revelation, the seven spirits of God before the throne and it lists all seven right there. And then it says he's going to make judgments. When he comes to rule and to reign on this earth, he's going to be the one who rules with a rod of iron. He's going to be judging everyone. And he's not going to make decisions by what his eyes see or his ears hear. But with righteousness and equity, he's going to make judgments. Go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse, look at verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind 
to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And in fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So let's, let's put this all together. Paul said, I'm not worried about whether or not I'm judged by you all or not. Now, it's required of every servant and every steward that they be found faithful, but I'm actually not worried about whether or not I'm judged by you. And in fact, I don't even judge myself. And here's why, Paul said, because I don't know of anything against myself. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm innocent. But it's the Lord who judges the heart. So would you not agree that Paul just said, I don't even fully understand my own heart? And if you know anything about what it means to be sanctified and in the process of God conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, one of the things he's going to be working on and showing us is our hearts, the real motive behind what we do and why we get so focused on our outward actions that God says, you know what? As great as your outward actions looks, I'm more interested in the motives behind the outward actions. That's why he writes to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, I know your deeds, how you tested those who claim to be apostles, and you haven't grown weary, yet i got a problem. You've left your first love. You're doing all the right things, but it's not from a heart of love. In other words, we get so focused on our outward actions, we don't understand that God's dealing with the heart. But if we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't even give ourselves a fair assessment. Because we really don't know. We might even be easier on ourselves, or some of us have the opposite problem. We're harder on ourselves than God would even want us to be. But if you would agree that you don't even really know your own heart, how can we think we know everybody else's hearts? And that's a danger of making judgments about the people around us. And folks, let me tell you, the temptation to go down that road is going to get stronger and stronger as we get closer to the end. I don't have time to go into it, but God had me preach a message this morning or this noontime today group of, to a group of men I've been preaching to for 21 years. And God totally changed my message this morning. I had something else in mind. And God got me up early this morning and I went into my office and wrote a whole different message on the fact that in this world, the Bible says hatred is going to increase. Brutality is going to increase. And the problem is, is it manifests itself in the church as well, in division and factions and strife. And the real biblical response should be to speak truth, but do it in love and leave it there. We, as many Christians, are unfortunately right now thinking that we want to use the same kind of methods the world is using to get their things across. And we try to fight fire with fire, and the Bible says that shouldn't be the way we are. We shouldn't, when we're reviled, we shouldn't revile in return. We should continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges just, justly, the one who really knows. That's why in First Peter, I'm mean, sorry, in James chapter 4, let me give you a little commercial for a couple weeks from now. Go to James chapter 5, I mean. James 5, look at verses 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. 
you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We did this in our study of Romans. Remember back in Romans 14? Go to Romans 14. Look at verses 1 through 12. We, we've already looked at this, so I'm not going to spend too much more time here. But we need to be reminded of the fact that as hatred is going to increase in this world, we Christians should not fall prey to that. And one of the things that I started to talk about a second ago, and I want to continue with that, is as we see wickedness increase, it's easy for us to automatically make assumptions about these people. When we are living in a world that's pushing pride down our throats. Listen closely. The Bible says pride's a sin, right? Yet we want to make a month about it. But our attitude should not be judgment and hatred or vitriol. Well, they're ruining America. Well, be careful. What should be the attitude of our hearts toward these people? The Bible says it should be a heart of love and a heart of wanting them to know the Lord, but not trying to force it or win the argument. You don't get people's hearts changed by being the loudest. The only one that can change hearts is the one who knows the hearts and examines the hearts. And we need to submit ourselves first to him and get our hearts ready for the return of the Lord. Then we can be used to help other people if he chooses to use us in their lives. But in Romans 14, listen to verses 1 through 12. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't invite somebody over so you could convince them of your view. One person believes he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. Why? Because God's able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. As you can see from our passage we're looking at, and remember from our study of Romans, we're all going to stand before God for what it is that he's done in our lives. And if we spend all our time worrying about everybody else, we won't allow God to work on us. But James, going back to chapter 4, he said, In James chapter 4, verse um, 12, he said, There's only one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Some of you might say, wait a minute, Jim. Doesn't the Bible say that as Christians were to make some judgments? Doesn't Galatians chapter 6, verse 5 say that if you see your brother caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them gently? I mean, you've got to make a judgment if you're going to see your brother caught in a transgression. 
And I would agree, the Bible does say that there are times that we are to make judgments. In John, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, where it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Jesus then goes on and makes this statement. He says, take the two by four out of your eye so that you can help your brother with the toothpick in his eye. In other words, we are to make judgments, but listen closely. Listen closely to the qualifications. The only ones who are to make these judgments are the truly mature in spirit and only if they desire and their heart's desire is to help. Go, to, go back to that passage I quoted in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 5. In Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught, that doesn't mean you see somebody trip up once in a while. No, it's this someone that's caught in a transgression. And you, are, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But, oh, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Then, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. In other words, you see your brother caught in a fault? What's the first person you got to work on, according to this passage? yourself. That's why in 1 Peter 5, Peter says, keep watch over, he's talking to the elders of the church, he said, keep watch over yourselves and the flock that's under your care. As pastors, we can't even care for the flock if we're not caring for ourselves first and allowing the Spirit of God to work on us in our hearts. And in the same way, yes, there are times that we're to make judgments. The Bible doesn't say that to make a judgment is wrong. But when we do, it needs to be after fully allowing the Spirit of God to show us that our heart is pure and our motives are right and we're in the right state of mind to help our brother. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure many people are there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 16. Because as we just read in Galatians, a lot of us help our brother just to make ourselves feel better. Because when I'm pointing out your faults, I don't notice mine as much. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verses 1 through 16. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But 
The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Because of how much we have to cover tonight, I don't have time to break this passage fully down, but let me just paraphrase it for you. Paul said, when I came to preach, I didn't come with human wisdom and lofty speech and try to impress you with my gifts. I came in humility and weakness and fear. Why? Because I wanted you to put your faith in the power of God, not in man's gifts. We go looking for the impressive speaker instead of the one who the Spirit of God speaks through in power. And then he goes on and he says, we actually have wisdom. Those of us who are mature, we have a wisdom from God. We have the mind of Christ. But we also got to keep in mind the people without the Spirit, they won't understand it. So what are we to do? We're to share the truth gently, patiently. And if they get it, who opens their eyes? God. And if they don't get it, who's blinded their eyes? Yeah, but how many of us have walked out of a spiritual encounter thinking, man, I should have said this. Oh, if I'd only said that. Well, maybe I would have done it. I'm going to say it to you again as lovingly as I can. Get over yourself. It isn't about us. It's about the Lord. And first off, before any of us can make a judgment and help somebody else out, we got to get the two by four out of our own eye. we got to allow the Spirit of God to show us where we are. And then we'll be sensitive to the Spirit to know when to speak and when not to speak, what to say and what not to say. Too many of us try to turn the Christian life into a set of rules. Well, when I see someone that's doing something, I'm going to share the truth and love. Sometimes love is not speaking about it until the proper time. Well, Jim, how am I going to know? See, that's why I'm saying only the spiritually mature and only those who have a desire to help. Most of us don't mind pointing out everybody else's faults because it makes us feel better. Go back to James chapter 3. Remember verses 13 through 18? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, this is strength under control, of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, where these exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, I love this part, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, are you spiritually mature enough to know that your heart is pure and ready to go before you help somebody? And two, is your desire to help them or just point out their faults? Let's go back to chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When it talks about speaking evil against each other, and speaking against a brother, some translations use the word slander. And that's kind of the root of what's going on here in the Greek. Slander is, well, let me give you an example. 
Susie's only really helping the pastor because she really has, and you can fill in the blank. Um, you, we, we, we make judgments about her motives. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ah, the only reason that this person is doing that is because, and we make statements about people because we, in our minds, know their real hearts and why they're doing it. And we've already gone down that road. Do we really know the real reason why someone's doing it? We don't. Well, we may be pretty sure, but you remember, we've already gone down this road. I've used this illustration to you too many times from the scriptures. That every time that I see someone making a righteous indignant response, Jesus said they were wrong. Lord, tell my sister to help me. Actually, Mary's doing what's best. Lord, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. It's not why I'm here. Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them? Actually, no. Lord, we saw some people preaching in your name, and they weren't part of our group, so we told them to stop. Actually, they're on our side. I mean, I could go on. What about this waste? That money that she just wasted with that perfume could have been given to the poor. Actually, what this lady's just done is going to be preached every time the gospel's preached. And you've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it to you again. Assume your first reaction is wrong every time. That'll keep you open to reason. That'll keep you humble. And that'll keep you sensitive to the Spirit. When you have a righteous response in your mind, assume that it's wrong and say, Lord, show me what's really going on here. And if you are correct, the Lord will show you and he'll show you how to handle it. But we have to be careful that we don't slander. Go to Proverbs 16. Look at verse 28. As you know, the book of Proverbs is full of a ton of wisdom. And in Proverbs 16, verse 28, listen to this. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. By the way, this person didn't even go out in the streets and pick it. They just whispered. Go to Proverbs chapter 17. Look at verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. There's a tendency sometimes, and we don't realize it, but this problem's bigger than we realize. We're even amongst brothers and sisters. I'm only sharing this with you so you know how to pray. But really what we're doing is pointing out someone's faults, or at least our perceived faults that we think they have to make ourselves feel better. Because when I say, I want you to be praying with me, you know, because I got, you know, let me tell you about Ray, you know. You know, I want you to pray for my brother Ray. Well, all I'm doing is saying, look at me, look at Ray. You see what I'm saying? Be careful. Because the Bible says that when you do this, you're judging the law. Well, how do we judge the law? I'm going to read to you how I put it in the notes. James takes this admonition against this type of judging to another level. He shows that when we speak against a brother or a sister, we become a judge of the law and we try to take God's role, dangerous territory. So how do we judge the law? Well, remember, the whole law is summed up in two things. What are the, how's the whole law summed up? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, if we don't love our neighbor... We're rejecting God's law and becoming a judge of it, deciding what we agree with and what we don't. And when we do that, we judge God because he wrote it. Let me read this to you again. 
Remember, the whole law is summed up in these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. If we don't love our neighbor, we're rejecting God's law and becoming a judge of it. And we're the ones who are deciding what we agree with in God's law and what we don't. And therefore, we're judging God's law. And when we do that, we judge God because he wrote it. I'm going to ask you this question that's in my notes. Do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go there as the one? And by the way, that, the world is full of that, and even in our churches today. There are people who are saying, well, that part I accept, but this part I don't know. I'm not sure it really says that. He didn't really mean it that way. And when you decide what part of God's law you will obey and what part you won't obey, you are now judging the law. You're setting yourself up as one who's going to decide which parts of the law are law and what parts of the law aren't law. Who's the only one who has that authority? Who wrote the law? God, do you really want to go there? Do you really want to set yourself up as judge? Because I think there was an individual who tried that, who wanted to be God. And then he came and he says to the humans on the earth, you get to be like God. You get to determine right and wrong, good and evil. That's why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. Did he really say, was that really what God had in mind? And folks, from the beginning, Satan has been trying to get us all to question the veracity of Scripture and the Word of God. And I'm going to say to you, it will do us well to renew our minds on a daily basis because that temptation to say, well, I'm not really sure. Well, I know this is serious, but that's not that serious. That temptation is in all of us. And we have to be reminded when we do that, we're not, just a, we're not a doer of the law, we're a judge of the law. Now, we're about to move into the next section in verses 13 through 17, and hopefully you're going to see now how they connect. In verses 13 through 17, James warns against making plans as if we can know the future. Has anybody seen the connection yet? When we make ourselves a judge of the law, we're trying to be who? God. And when we make plans as if we know the future, who are we trying to be? God. Go to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Remember, we've already seen in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, you don't have to turn there. We talk about how Satan came and said, you get to be God. Now, let me just say something to you real quickly so you don't get off track here. Making plans is not a sin. Actually, the Bible tells us to make plans. Too many people take this to a laissez-faire type of an attitude of, oh, we're just going to see what happens. No, 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 no. The Bible says that that's actually laziness, and the Bible is against that, and the Bible actually tells us to plan. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 18. Proverbs 20, verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, 
by wise guidance, wage war. So is the Bible telling us to make plans and to seek some guidance as we do? Definitely. Go to Proverbs chapter 6, though. Look at verses 6 through 8. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. In other words, observe the ant. Learn from the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So in other words, the ant's planning ahead. Learn from that. Go to Romans chapter 15. Look at verses 22 through 26. Didn't we already study Romans? You'll never be done with Romans. Romans 15, 22 through 26. Listen to what Paul says. He says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For, the Macedonia and, uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Paul says, I want to come, and I've been wanting to come see you for a while. But now I think is the time for it to happen. And but I got something I think I'm supposed to do on the way, but I got some plans. By the way, at our house, Jeff and Julie are living here until they head back to Thailand, and they've got a lot of different things on the horizon. You guys are getting on an airplane and going to Michigan, and then, Lord willing, you're going to Seattle, and then possibly a cruise, and then on the way back, and then on some point, you've got to make your way back. You've got visitors coming from Maine. You've got others are going, and, you, and you were, we were talking today about the dropping off the car that they've been using and then getting another rental car and what if we go a day sooner or whatever. That's not a bad thing. But the heart attitude behind it all is as the Lord wills. We make our plans, but we let the Lord take it from there. The problem is many of us, myself included, we make our plans and we get mad when things don't go the way we planned. Why? Because Deep down, it's in all of us, even though you're saved, because we're still in this flesh, you want to be God. I still want to be God. I want to be in control. I want to judge the law. I want to determine what I agree with and what I don't agree with, or what I feel like doing and what I don't feel like doing, or what I think is a big sin and what I don't think is that big of a sin. I want to I be in control of my life. And James is saying... You don't want to go there because you're trying to step into a role that only can be done by one. And he is the true judge. That's why when we get to chapter five later on, we're going to see James tell, be patient until the coming of the Lord. The true judge is standing at the door. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. Let me show you how Paul does it again. 1 Corinthians 16 verses five through nine. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened me, and there are many adversaries. So in this whole section right here, um, did you catch how many times he said, if the Lord wills, and I hope, and here's my plan? 
you need to have a rough idea of where you're heading tomorrow. You guys, we talked about that before. The plan is you got to be moving to California. When? And what'd you say? Lord's got that one worked out. We have, an, we have an idea. There's family. You feel like God's leading in that direction. But there's a lot of things that all have to come together. And why do you think you don't know yet, but we have to wait until the pieces come together because God's more interested in you walking with him in this journey than you just going and doing it. And he's got a better plan. We have to remind ourselves of that, though, don't we? When our plans don't always end up like we think. Do we really believe that he's good? All the time. All the time God's good. But then why do we get mad when he changes our plans? Because we really don't believe he's good. And when we really don't believe he's good, we become a judge of not only the law, but the lawgiver. Again, aren't we glad that he's merciful? Aren't we glad that he's patient? Aren't we glad that he knew what he was working with before he even made us? And he still did it. Actually, Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world to die for our sins, so he must have known we were going to be sinners. But we must leave the actual occurrences open to God's plans. Go to Proverbs 16 and look at verse 9. Proverbs 16, look at verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I'm going to read this to you again, then I'm going to take us to Ecclesiastes. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes that I can't wait to show you. Proverbs 16, verse 9, though. The heart of the man, man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Go to Ecclesiastes. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Did you look what he's saying? He's like, look, we need to have plans. And we need to do some things that we think that God wants us to do and things that he said to do in his word. But we need to leave the results to God. But if we wait until it makes sense to us or whether or not we think it's going to work out right, we won't do anything. He who, uh, it says here, he who uh, uh, observes the wind, verse 4, he's never going to sow. And he who regards the clouds will never go harvest or reap. And in the same way, we don't know how the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. We don't know how the Spirit of God and the Spirit of that being come to be. So we know, know the work of God who makes everything. So what are we to do? In the morning, we're to sow our seed. And that evening, we're to do what we're to do then. 
For we don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will end up being good. In other words, we're to live our lives doing what we believe the Lord says to do and leaving the results to Him. But if you wait until you know how it's going to work out, it's going to mess you up. And many of us only want to do it if we think it's going to work. Well, let me throw something else at you, the little curveball. Just because you do what God says to do doesn't mean it's going to work out right away. I'm sure Moses was extremely grateful for the burning bush experience. I mean, because if Moses had maybe heard a little thought in his head, and then he went and did what he believed God led him to do, and it all blew up like it did, because if you don't know what I'm talking about, as you know, Moses has this experience in the wilderness where God has this bush catch on fire, and it doesn't burn up. So he goes over to see this thing that's amazing to him, that this bush is, bush is on fire and it's not burning up. And then God speaks to him from the bush in a booming voice, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. He says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground right here. And he finds out that, that that's God, the all, God Almighty, the, father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and his name is I Am. And, and God says, I want you to go back now to Egypt. You were trying to rescue the Israelites in your own power. Now I want you to do it in my power. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can come and worship me. So he does. And Pharaoh gets upset. He says, it sounds like you guys got all this free time to come up with all these worship plans. I'll tell you what, tell the Jews, same amount of bricks they got to produce now and they have to gather their own straw. We're not even going to provide the straw anymore. And the Bible says the Israelites hated the guts of Moses, if you will. They hated him. Here he came to rescue him because God said, aren't you glad? And don't you think Moses was glad that he had the burning bush experience? Because otherwise we would have questioned whether or not, because when things don't go the way we think they will, it's really easy for us to question whether or not we heard God correctly. We're going through similar things in our family. We know what God has said and we've been obedient and the fact that God has said it clearly has made it easier for us in the midst of things not going as smoothly as we thought they would. Folks, do what you believe God has said. Leave the results to him. Oh, he's going to cause it all to eventually work for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But he didn't promise that it would be good right away. And we have a tendency sometimes to just judge whether or not we obeyed God by how well things go, don't go there because you don't know how God works. Any of you, can any of you explain to me how the spirit goes into the bones? And No. God actually encourages our gathering information in the making of plans. But we must not put our faith or confidence in the information we have gathered or use our own wisdom to interpret it. Go with me to Numbers chapter 13. I have to be honest with you. For years, I thought that the nation of Israel, when they went to go spy out the land, they put a committee together to go spy out the land, and then they came back and said, we can't do it. I thought they did that on their own. Actually, go to Numbers 13. You'll see God actually is the one who told them to put the committee together to go do the research. Look at Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, 
which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent, from, sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord and all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. So before we go any further, who is the one who put the committee together to go research the, the promised land? God did. Go to Numbers 13, 25 through 33. At the end of the 40 days, these people returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy, out, spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. God said, I want you to go and gather the information. But I also want you to listen to me. They went and gathered the information, and they weighed the information that they had gathered against what God had said. God says, I'm going to give you the land. Their information looked like they couldn't do it, and they voted not to do it. Why? Because they put their own confidence in their own wisdom versus the obedience to what God has said. Does God want us to gather information? Yes. Gather lots of information. But go to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You don't have to turn there if you can quote it with me. But in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, I'm going to read it to you, but I'm going to read it to you a little bit different. I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to emphasize some things. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not ever lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Not the things you think I need to check with God on this one, because this is a toughie. I'll handle the rest. And he will make your paths straight. Did you catch that? We're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're never, ever, ever, ever to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're to acknowledge him, and he will direct us. He will guide us. By the way, Jim, I have trouble hearing from God, and sometimes he doesn't answer as quick as I'd like, and sometimes we've got to get a decision made, and, oh, who's wanting to be God? Because you've decided when it needs to be done and what the deadline is and all this stuff. And folks, daily we have to lay this flesh on the altar. Daily we have to renew our minds and say, Lord, keep me from making judgments about not only my brothers and sisters in the church, but keep me from making judgments about this world today and all the things that they're doing. Because it's really easy for me to get sickened by what I see or grieved by what I see and immediately put people into certain categories. And you're the only one that knows their hearts. And to be honest with you, Lord, I would have never dreamed that you would have ever used Saul of Tarsus to write most of the New Testament. Because he was a terrorist 
and he was killing Christians. And he had had lots of light revealed to him. He, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he had just turned his blind eye to it. And Lord, I would have never dreamed that he would ever be one who would be saved, let alone a leader in the church the way he's been. And if I had made a judgment back then, I would have just pushed him aside. And Lord, these people that they grieve me, and I don't know why they do what they do, and I don't understand it. Lord, you know their hearts and it's not too late for them. Keep me soft toward them so I can see people as you see them. So that people can ask me for the reason for the hope that lies within me instead of me getting angry and righteously indignant about what's going on and thinking I'm righteous when I'm not. Lord, i got to make some decisions. There are things happening in my life, in all of us. It's a part of this life. We've, we've got to prepare for the future and, and marriage and, and houses and kids and colleges and whether or not I need to get a car and all these things. And it's very easy for me to just grab the reins, do the best I can. But you've shown me that your word says that you have the best plan, but you've designed it that I would seek you. Oh, you want me to gather information. You want me to make some plans, but you want me to hold them loosely so that you get to show me your best plan. But I'm learning now, Lord, you're far more interested in the journey than you are the destination. And I get focused on the destination. When are we going to get there? You know how your kids used to always ask that question in the backseat of the car? You haven't grown up. You're still asking it too. When, Lord? How much further? Lord, I've been waiting for this answer to this prayer for a long time. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much further? Are we ever going to get there? I got a tinkle. That was just another one there. But, but <laughs> beware of arrogance. Beware of thinking ourselves more, of ourselves more highly than we should. We need to keep a proper perspective of God's significance, not ours. Look at verse 17 of James chapter 4. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Dip. We just had a lot shown to us, did we not? God's just shown us the right attitude toward our brothers and sisters and to the world. He's shown us the right attitude we're to have toward our future and our plans. We know the right thing to do. Then the one who knows the right thing to do, God's will, and doesn't do it, sins. But what I want to do in the time we have left, and we're going to hit it fast because we've got 10 minutes, 13, 12 and a half. And the more I keep giving you numbers, it's now gone to 12. Let's look at this from another angle. What does God's word say his will is? Well, number one is that people be saved. Go to 1 Timothy 2. We're going to hit these fast. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 3 and 4. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So 
what is God's will? That all people be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 tells that he's not slow in keeping the promise. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the will of God. Well, if you know that that's the will of God and you're not saved, you know the will of God and you don't do it, you're sinning. But you know the Bible also says another will of God is that we be spirit-filled. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, look at verses 17 and 18. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled or be being filled with the Spirit. What is his desire? Is that his Spirit be allowed to control us. That's what the filling of the Spirit is. You've already received all of God. When people say, well, I want to be filled with the Spirit. God, pour out your Spirit upon me. God says, I already did. 2 Peter chapter, sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. You don't need more of God, he needs more of you. Here he's there. The filling is under the control of the Spirit. We need to be being filled. We need to be drinking of the Lord who's already there, allowing Him to be in control. Do you know what the will of the Lord is? That you be filled continually with the Spirit. If you know what the will of the Lord is and you don't do it, it's sin. You're missing the mark. Oh, that we be sanctified. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord's an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What's his will? Our sanctification. That process of him conforming us into the image of Jesus. Are we saved? Yes. Are we guaranteed heaven? Yes. Is he done with turning our lives and all that he's given us into what it's supposed to look like yet? No. That's sanctification process. You've been justified. One day you'll be glorified. Now we're being sanctified. And it's his will. Oh, listen. If it's his will that we be in the process of being sanctified, that's not a one-day thing. That's a between-here-and-heaven thing. That should also encourage you with the fact that God doesn't expect it all to be fixed today. But are you letting him work on you at all? Are you telling him to take a break, go work somewhere else? By the way, if you've ever done repairs, if you let it sit for a while, it doesn't get better. It actually gets a little worse. What's the will of God? That we be submissive to governing authorities. Jim, did you really have to go there? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. 
be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Well, not all of them. Oh, do you want to be a judge of the law? Determine which parts you agree with and which ones you don't? Whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your uh, freedom uh, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Well, you know, the Bible also says that it's his will that we suffer for his sake. Go to 1 Peter 3. Look at verses 14 through 17. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Sometimes it's God's will that you actually do the right thing and suffer for it. By the way, did Joseph do the right thing when Potiphar's wife said, hey, sleep with me, my husband won't know. And when he said, she, he said no and took off. It all worked out great, right? No, he actually was accused of rape and he didn't do it. And he ended up being thrown in the dungeon for a while. Go to James chapter 1. We'll close with this tonight. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. By the way, we've already seen tonight in James 4, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So as we wrap up tonight, I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm pretty sure you do, because I feel it, and if I feel it, I know all of us feel it. This is overwhelming, isn't it? Think about all that we just were told that is the will of God. I mean, I just listed five things that are the will of God, and I could have shown you more. And we've just seen that the one who knows the will of God and doesn't do it, sins. Well, go have fun. Good night. See you. Actually, this is a good thing. If you get to that point where you say, Lord, I know your will. I'm having a hard time doing it. God says, good. I never intended for you to do it but to let me do it through you. You have to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Daily renewing your mind 
Lord, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live by faith in you because you now live in me. And I believe that you will produce these things that you is your will. And your word even says that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that, th that we have the things that we've asked. So, is it his will that you're saved? Yes. Is it his will that you be sanctified? Is it his will that you, and we just could go on and on in all the lists. Yes. And then here's our prayer. Lord, do it. Do your will in me. Now, I'm not going to just sit back and just say, do it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will, and that's the desire, and to do. Our job is to say, Lord, you're going to do it. Let's go and believe that he will. And watch him change your heart. If you say, I've got to do a better job, I've got to have a different heart attitude, I'm going to think about this different, no, 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 you've already failed. Because your focus is on who? Yourself and your effort. But if you say, Lord, you said you, this is a evidence of your spirit within me, and I believe you're going to do it. And so here we go. And watch him as you spend time walking with him, talking with him in prayer, letting the Lord do his work through you. Now we get a whole bunch more to deal with next week. If, if, you, if you read ahead and say, well, that's only for the rich people, oh, come, come next week. You'll find out it's for you too. But for tonight, thank the Lord that there's only one judge and he'll take care of all that stuff. Let him work on you. And if you let him work on you and you let him work on you and you let him work on you and I let him work on me, guess what? I think the church is going to be fine. I love you. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for coming.